Second Peter two ten to twenty two. Hear the word of the Lord. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. From Tales of the Kingdom, a girl named Dirty. Forever and always, the caretaker of Great Park brought those who were hurt or frightened, sick or broken, to his wife, Mercy, because she was wise, and whatever she touched was made better. Except Dirty. Dirty refused to become better. Caretaker had found her outside Stonegate entrance, rooting around for food after a burner had beaten her. The child was covered with welts and bruises. When caretaker approached the girl, she immediately stood to her feet and shouted, I'm dirty. I never wash. I never cry. I'll fight anything that raises a fist against me. Then she fainted from her wounds and hunger. Caretaker brought her to mercy. But all the old woman's efforts could not help the girl to enjoy life in Great Park. Dirty hated the cottage. She despised the people who lived there. She thought caretaker with his tree hat and jingling pockets was stupid. She hated Hero's ugly scar. I'm not going to live with those creeps, she declared one day, as she stomped off to the barnyard to make her home with the pigs. From that day on, she tromped in the mud and slept in the sheds. She practiced pig grunts. She learned pig calls. Hoy, soy, soy, hoy. She watched the sows give birth to litters and made pets of the piglets. And because the piglets were gentle, she loved them, but she refused to love people. At first, Mercy tried to persuade her to come into the cottage for meals, but she would not. Then Mercy carried nourishing lunches to the dung heap where Dirty liked to sit, and she ate there with the girl. 
Finally, Dirty refused any food from Mercy's hand. I'll eat the pig slop, she said. If it's good enough for pigs, it's good enough for me. Finally, the wise woman and her husband decided to leave Dirty alone. The girl would have to learn that what was fine for pigs was not always right for children. So Dirty lived in the pig pen in back of caretaker's cottage and never left it, except to creep into deepest forest on the evenings of the great celebration. Dirty loved to watch the dancing and the singing and the feasting and the joyful fellowship. She hid herself so well, none of the subjects of the king knew that Dirty watched them on the nights when the sacred circle of flames was lit. Now we'll get back to Dirty's story in a little bit, and I hope eventually you will see what it has to do with the text of today, in which Peter goes back to what he had already been talking about at the beginning, which is the danger of false teachers that had infiltrated the church, or I shouldn't say infiltrated, that had risen up from within the church and were gone aside and were drawing people aside. And we already looked at some of their characteristics in the first part of this chapter, but in this part of the chapter we see three things about them that Peter exposes. The characteristics of the false teachers, the the uh, methods of the false teachers, and the end of the false teachers. Now, it begins with some verses that are rather difficult here, verses 10 and 11, because it's a little difficult for us to decide who these different characters are. It talks about bold and willful. That, of course, is the false teachers. It says they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, who are the glorious ones? And then it says, whereas angels though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So the big question here is, who are the glorious ones, and who are the them that are referred to? And there are a number of different options here, but basically they fall into a couple categories. The glorious ones are angels. Everybody agrees with that. But what kind of angels? Are they good angels, or are they bad angels? If they're good angels, we find these false teachers were despising the good angels. And why might these false teachers despise good angels and speak against them? Well, a couple of reasons are these. In the tradition of, of Israel, the angels participated in the giving of the law at Sinai. And these false teachers wanted nothing to do with the law of God. And in addition, we find that angels are associated with the end of time when God judges all humans. And they wanted nothing to do with final judgment either. So it may be that that's why they despised the good angels, if that's who these were. Or, if these were evil angels, fallen angels, we find that they, they dismissed them, they despised them, and they, they failed to take them into account. Uh, and they failed to take into account the evil influence that these evil angels were having in their own lives and in the lives of the world and in the life of the church. But however that might be, however that might be, we find that they were bold, they were insolent, they were arrogant, they were daring, and they did not hesitate to speak against beings that are much mightier than they are. And this is in contrast to the angels themselves, because it talks about the angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Now, the them could be the false prophets, or the them could be fallen angels, if the glorious ones are those evil angels. So there are a number of different possibilities here. 
and we don't have to decide it, but, but we do see the character of these false prophets. That they, they rushed in, as it were, where angels fear to tread. And they, they despised celestial beings. And angels, by contrast, were more modest in their treatment of others than these false teachers. Then we find some other characteristics that are very clear, and Peter lays them out here. In verse 12, they were ignorant, but they were confident. Ignorant, that's a terrible combination, isn't it? Ignorance and confidence. In verse 12, it says um, that they blasphemed things, or they slandered things, about which they are ignorant. They also practiced immorality. Now, the, the daringness, the boldness, the insolence of these folks is they practiced it in broad daylight. In broad daylight, we find that oftentimes shameful deeds are practiced in the dark, but they practice these shameful deeds in broad daylight and in the church and constantly. If you look at verse 13, um, it says they count it halfway through 13. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, unsatiable for sin, etc. So where do they do this? They do this in the church. They do this in the church. They celebrate their immorality in the church. And you say, that's shocking, that's, that's terrible. But we find that today in once faithful churches that used to hold to scriptural, uh, biblical principles about what is right and what is wrong and, and what is marriage and what is not. And we find these once faithful churches celebrating in broad daylight immoral relationships and, and trying to sanctify them by calling them marriage. And it says in addition to, to their immorality, their blatant daytime immorality, they were greedy. They were actually, they were gymnasts in greed. Uh, verse 14, it says that they have hearts trained in greed. And that, that, that word trained is the word from which we get uh, gymnasium. So they went to the gym. They went to the greed gym to work out so that they would be especially trained in greed. They would be very strong in greed. And once again, we have sadly to admit that there are too many present examples and historical examples of so-called ministers of the gospel who have taken advantage of their position and take advantage of the church in order to enrich themselves. So this is an ancient practice and we find it here and unfortunately we find it up till our day as well. Now we also find that in their, their, their departure from the truth and they're characterized by by immorality, and they're characterized by greed, and that suggested somebody to Peter as an illustration. And this illustration is Balaam, son of Beor. And he says in, in verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. And so we saw that in the Old Testament reading. He was a hired hand. He was a prophet who was hired in order to curse. Now, God prevented him from cursing Israel, and so then he tried something else by tempting Israel with foreign women, and that was more successful. And so we have these two characteristics combined in Balaam. Greed 
and using, using preaching to enrich himself, and we have immorality. And so he was a, a perfect illustration. And then it says that he was rebuked, and it tells the, the humorous story of how he was rebuked, and he was his, his own donkey. His own donkey spoke up against the madness of the prophet. And you can read that back in Numbers. And we, we, we see that these teachers are, are modern-day Balaams going after money and practicing immorality. These are the characteristics. Now, what were their methods? Their methods were these. They, um, they went after the weakest. They went after the easiest prey. Verse uh, 14, a uh, little bit after, it says, Their eyes are full of adultery insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls. So they pick out the, the least steady in the, in the congregation and they go after them the easiest prey. And then if you look at verse 18 as well, it says here, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So this may be weak Christians, or it may be new Christians, but they go after the ones who are, are least informed and, and closest to their old lifestyles, and they try to entice them. And what they did is they manipulated with empty words. It may be that they were eloquent preachers, and they manipulated with their empty words in 17. Uh, it calls them waterless springs. And mists driven by a storm. So they, like a spring in the desert, they promised satisfaction, but they were actually empty. And it says that speaking loud boasts, they entice. And what do they entice by? They entice by sensual passions. And what they say to these new or weak or unstable Christians, they say, you can live and indulge yourselves and follow all of your carnal passions, and that's all okay. Look at us. Look at us. We're teachers in the church, and we live this way. This is how you can live as well. And they said, this is actually freedom. This is what freedom looks like. In verse 19, they promise them freedom. So this is their message, Christian freedom. And their version of Christian freedom is freedom to do whatever you want, particularly in matters of the flesh. Now, there's a terrible irony here about their offer of freedom. And the terrible irony is this. They themselves were slaves. So here are slaves preaching freedom. And what were they slaves of? They were slaves of their own passions. They were slaves of their own impulses. In verse 19, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And it says, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And you see, what had happened is they'd allowed themselves to be overcome by their sins and then to be enslaved by their sins. And this is a military image here, imagery. Because this was common in the ancient world. Maybe it's common today too, I don't know. But uh, the, the soldiers, if they lost the battle, they could lose their lives, of course. But they could also lose their freedom. Because it was common for, for beaten soldiers to be either sold into to slavery or to simply be enslaved by their, their conquerors. And that's the idea here. That they were, they were beaten. They were, they were overcome, and so they became 
slaves. Now there's a general principle here in verse verse 19 that we all need to take to heart. It describes them, it, uh, it, it, it exposes them, but it also is a warning to us. Because here's the general principle. For whatever... For whatever, and actually this is ambiguous, it could be, it could be personal, it could be whoever, or it could be whatever. So whoever or whatever. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so this is very practical. If we don't want to be, uh, if we don't want to be enslaved, then what do we need to avoid? We need to avoid being overcome. Because if you're overcome by something, you become enslaved to that thing. And so in order to avoid becoming slaves, we need to avoid being overcome in the first place. So the practical takeaway is this, not to let ourselves to be dominated by anything. Not to allow ourselves to be dominated by anything in the first place, whatever that might be whether it's envy or pride or greed or malice or impatience or immorality or same-sex attraction or pornography or substances or rudeness or whatever, laziness, whatever it might be, whatever it might be that wants to overcome you, you need to resist that so that you don't become enslaved to it. Maybe, as I mentioned, some of these things, you, you recognize some of these things in yourself. And that's actually a good thing, to recognize them. Dirty had to come to that place in her story as well. You remember how she would sneak out at night and watch the great celebration? Well, one night, Dirty hid in the hollow stump of a felled tree and watched the celebrants making entrance through the sacred flames. Looking through the dancing fire, she could see that banquet tables were being spread with glorious foods. She had brought a dry ear of corn from the pig trough and was munching on its hard kernels. Suddenly, she heard someone crying, Alms! Alms for the poor! She peeked her head out of her hole and saw a beggar all ragged and threadbare. Too late! The beggar had seen her and was coming her way. She grunted and grunted, hoping to scare him off. She peeked into the black, he peeked into the black hollow of the stump. Aren't you coming to the great celebration? The man asked. Dirty climbed out. She got down on all fours and pushed her nose into the dirt. She snorted. She made a pig call. Hoy, soy, soy, hoy. The beggar was not fooled into thinking she was a pig. Come, he said. Come, go through the flames with me. Be my guest at the banquet table. Dirty looked at him. She showed her teeth. She grunted again. She said, Suey, suey, go with you. You're nothing but an ugly beggar. I'd rather be with the pigs. The beggar touched her gently on the shoulder. Dirty drew back, but her arm felt warm where his hand had been. Oh, Dirty, he said, don't you know all the subjects of the king are nothing more than ugly beggars? With that, he moved off. She was astonished that he hadn't hit her with his staff or shouted, You filth! Who are you to call me ugly? Dirty watched the beggar make entrance. She heard the rangers salute. She saw the glad clamor of hello and inmost circle. She watched the beggar become real. Through the burning flames, she saw that he was the most beautiful man she had ever seen. He was the king himself. And he had said to her, Come with me. At that moment, Dirty unwashed and smelling of the pig pen, began to love the king. Longing filled her heart. 
She wanted to be as beautiful as he. When Dirty discovered she was crying, she ran into the forest. It took days for caretaker to find her. When he did, she had clean hands and a clean face. Her hair and nails had been washed in Lake Marmo. Her clothes had been scrubbed in a nearby stream. But she was still crying. Caretaker lifted her into his arms with a sound of jingling and carried her as he did all wounded things to Mercy. Mercy was delighted. Why, who's this? she asked. I'm dirty, the girl answered between sobs. But you're all clean, said Mercy, meaning to be kind. No, no, the girl sobbed all the more. I've washed and washed, but I'm still dirty. I'm all pig inside. The king will never love me. It's too late. Mercy shook her head knowingly. We shall see what the king has to say about that. If you've discovered that you're dirty on the inside, then you can do what these false teachers did at first. You see, these false teachers had begun well. They they had seen that there was something wrong with them. And they had escaped for a time from the corruption. If you look at verse 12, these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, etc., blaspheming, and so on. But then it says they had escaped. Look at verse 20. For if after they have escaped from the defilements of the world... And they had, they had escaped from the defilements of the world and the defilements of themselves through the knowledge, it says here, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They had come to the place in their lives where they had recognized that that they were dirty and they needed to escape and they they had been cleansed, apparently, by, by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, they then became, as we read, overcome and enslaved again. And the text tells us terribly that they were overcome and they ended up in a worse state than they began. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them like a net, entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. And And then it says that it would have been better. Verse 21, it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now, it's not saying ignorance is bliss. It's not saying it would have been better for them never to know the gospel, but it says it would be better for them never to have known the gospel and embraced the gospel and preached the gospel and then turned away from the gospel. Because, while ignorance excuses no one, knowledge does bring with it responsibility. Knowledge of the truth brings responsibility to believe the truth, to practice the truth, to preach the truth. And they had done that, apparently, for a time. But then, they were overcome and enslaved, and they became what's described here in this text. And these false teachers, in addition to being like Balaam, they were like two proverbs. Proverbs about dirty animals. The street dog and the pig. Now, 
we, I have to say street dog because basically all dogs were street dogs in those days. And when we think of a dog, we think of our, our groomed, uh, well-vaccinated, uh, well-behaved pets. But that's not what dogs were. They, were. they were ravenous street dogs. And, of course, we know about pigs. It mentions the sow here. And it says from Proverbs 26.11, there's a characteristic about dogs. If you've had dogs, you've noticed that they do something very disgusting. They disgorge their stomachs by vomiting. And then they'll go back to their vomit. And they'll, they'll sniff around their vomit, and even worse, sometimes they'll, they'll eat it. They, they get rid of this, this nastiness that's inside of them. They, they get it out of them, and then, then they go back to it again. And they sometimes even ingest it again. And the sow, it says, well, you can clean up a pig. You can wash a pig. And, and I, I met somebody was, who, who used pressure washers. He had pigs and he was using pressure washers to, to wash pigs. You can, you can wash pigs. You can get them squeaky clean, but what will they do? They'll go back. After they've been cleansed, they'll go back to wallowing in the mud. Just like dirty used to do. We pick up dirty story. Mercy took the pig girl to the next great celebration. Rangers stood watch all around the outer rim of the circle of flames. Dirty pulled on the cloak of one and asked, Is the beggar coming tonight? When the tall man shook his head, no, her heart sank. Dirty followed Mercy, who had stepped into the fire. The heat seared the pig girl's heart. She felt as though everything inside of her was being burned. The girl screamed, and Mercy put her arms around her. She whispered, don't be afraid. The pain is only for a moment. It's no use. It's no use, Dirty cried. The king is not coming. He is the one I must see. No one else can make me clean. With that, the two passed through. And the girl looked up into the unspeakable beauty of the young Mercy, whose long black hair now brushed her waist. Mercy took the girl's hand. Let me tell you a wonderful secret, she said. All the people of the kingdom know it. It is the one of the first lessons they must learn. The king does not have to come in order for us to see him. He's always present. Dirty stopped crying. She looked at Mercy. I don't understand what you mean. Listen, said Mercy. She held her finger to her mouth for silence. Listen and you will hear him speak. Be still. He has something to say to you. Dirty wiped her tears. She closed her eyes and listened as hard as she could. Yes, there was something. She could hear someone speaking. It was the voice of the beggar king. He was saying, Come with me. Be my special guest at the banquet table. Dirty kept her eyes closed. His special guest? She could feel something pouring over her. It flowed down through her, starting with her head, then behind her eyes, all through the knots and gnarls of her insides. It was warm, it was gentle, it was fluid. Mercy whispered, It's king's love, Dirty. It's king's love. Dirty could hear the voice again. The king was laughing. Then he stopped. He said, I'm so glad you'd rather have me than your pigs. The warm flood had reached her toes. Dirty felt as if she were being held by the king. She felt his kiss. Mercy was right. You did not have to see the king to be surrounded by the power of his love. Dirty heard music. Dirty wanted to dance. She wanted to sing and shout. She turned to Mercy. The king does love me. I'm clean. I'm clean. The king has made me clean. 
Mercy took her hand and drew her into the circle of dancers within the sacred flames. Someone took her other hand. The musicians began the beat. The girl knew the dance would begin slowly, then move faster and faster and faster. She knew the dance steps. She had watched them many times, but she didn't know. The subjects would all sing her song. From all around the dancing circle it rose. I'm clean, I'm clean, the king has made me clean. She's clean, she's clean, the king has made her clean. And the circle moved faster and faster. The subjects of the king sang and danced rejoicing. But no one sang any louder or danced any harder than Dirty, who had become Cleone, the clean one. So, the pig girl left her pigs for the sake of one she loved. And she became the clean one who had a tender place in her heart for all things ugly because she knew a king who could find something beautiful in every garbage heap. That's Dirty's story. And actually, Dirty's story illustrates the story of anyone who recognizes his or her own uncleanness that inside piggishness, as she described it, and goes to the king, because there is a king who can make us clean. Now, let's talk about how you clean things. What do you do to clean things? You take away the filth that is there. There must be some agent that takes away the filth in order for you to become clean. And that's how we need to become clean as well. The only way is if there is someone or something who can take away our filth. And there is that one, the king. And he can take away our filth because he took it upon himself. And he died on the cross for our filth. So, if you find that filth within yourself, then go to the king. Because he's the only one who can make you clean. And if you have come to the king and you have become clean, then my friend, never, ever go back to the slop. Let's pray. Our God, we read, we read the story here of these false teachers. And they're tragic because they had escaped, apparently. They had lived like Christians for a time. They had experienced something of the powers of cleansing, the powers of liberty from sin, and then they went back to the slop. Oh God, they weren't the first and they weren't the last. We thank you that we can be clean, that their story isn't the final story, that the final story is of King Jesus who comes to cleanse cleanse sinners like us. And I pray for all of us, oh God, that we would be able to sing that Song of dirty. I'm clean. I'm clean. The King has made me clean. And Lord, if we can sing that song this morning, I pray that you would protect us from ever being tempted to go back to the slop. That these teachers would be a warning to us. That we would never allow ourselves to be overcome and enslaved by the things that once dominated us, but that we would walk in cleanness, and that we would have compassion for all things ugly, because we know all the subjects of the king are nothing but ugly beggars. 
those who have been cleansed by His love and His grace. And we pray this in His name. Amen.